One knows nobody so well as one's fellow. Every step of the common journey tests his mettle. You'll not find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or the Christian by staring in his eyes. Better fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. This is Pints with Jack. Season 5, Episode 17. The Four Loves. Our Friendships. Good morning, everyone. Pints with Jack is your favorite weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where three friends, Andrew, David, and Matt, break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we're talking about love, slowly and deliberately working our way through The Four Loves, the book where Lewis writes about affection, friendship, romance, and charity. And today is another special episode. When we finished the previous chapter on affection, Matt and I interviewed people with whom we share storgy love. Matt interviewed his friend Christian, and I interviewed my mother and my son. And today we're going to be doing the same thing with Philia. Matt and Andrew are going to be interviewing those with whom they share this love of friendship. To kick things off, we have Andrew. Well, I found it really appropriate in our chapter on friendship, listeners, to bring in my two oldest and best friends, uh, or let's say longest and best friends. Uh, I have more gray hair than both of you combined. I wonder what Miss Clarell is doing for you all. So I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast Eddie Burhans and Barry Dixon, both joining us from California, uh, where we grew up together. So I wanted to chat just a little bit about how we met and what unites us as friends. Um, would love to hear from both of you uh, about C.S. Lewis and, and what your relationship with him is. And then, as I shared with you, I've got just a few questions that came out of the chapter. So, um, yeah, so if you don't mind, just introduce yourselves. We'll go in alphabetical order, so we'll start with, with, uh, with Eddie. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Eddie Burhans. I live in Orangevale, California, which is a suburb of Sacramento. I am a high school teacher. I work with mostly 10th graders. I am a special education case manager. I have a bachelor's in history. I have a social science teaching credential, special education teaching credential, and a master's degree in special education. And I attribute my excellent writing skills to my good friend, Andrew Lazo. I returned to college as an adult. I suffered from extreme writer's block and he was um, a kind enough friend to spend hours and hours on the phone teaching me and coaching me. And he did such an excellent job that by my junior year in college, I was almost writing completely independent of his eyes on any of my work. And teachers were asking me for copies of my papers as models for their classes. So did an excellent job as, as a, a writing teacher for me. Andrew and I met on the first day of high school. 1980 in Spanish class and uh, we just gravitated to each other and we have been friends ever since. Yeah. So it was shortly thereafter that I became a Christian and somewhere in my 20s I was introduced to the work of C.S. Lewis, could be through Andrew's influence. Uh, and I just, I got addicted for a while. I, I bought every piece of literature that I could find. I read everything. Um, my favorite works were, of course, the Narnia Chronicles. But I also particularly loved Mere Christianity and The Great Divorce, both of those books. So, Barry, you're up. <laughs> uh, Andrew and I met... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, my friend. I believe we were about 14, 15, and we met at a Phil Kagey concert, if I'm not mistaken, at Marriott's at the time. It was called Marriott's Great America. I, we, we formed our friendship where Eddie and I, where, where we are all formed our friendship, which was at our first, probably first job. Um, 
and uh, we we have uh, been roommates, and Andrew and I have been roommates in college situations, and um, uh, we have gone through phases where we don't talk for months, partly because I've had children, and you know, when kids come along, it's kind of like all of your focus is um, stolen, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's just the way of things, you know, maybe that's maybe that's just kind of a natural mm-hmm. um what's the word detour in in some relationships um we go back we go back a couple of years my relationship with cs lewis started when i was 5 uh my mother amazing woman read the entirety of the chronicles of narnia to me um inspired me on on so many levels it's it's hard to even count um uh, the greatest of which was I aspired to learn to read them myself, um, which I did several times. I still have the original box set, tattered, no glue left on the binding. I wouldn't open one if you paid me um, set that lives on a shelf next to a reader's copy that uh, doesn't have the same nostalgia associated with it. My my favorite book, and I have to say this as a, as a Christ follower, I must say, outside of the scripture, because we always have to say that, right? Uh, my favorite book is Paralandra. A close second is The Great Divorce, which I am going through now. Um, it's amazing how many friendship topics you could extract from that, or maybe amazing how many unfriendship topics you could extract from that. <laughs> Did I answer your question? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I am sorry that I forgot the Space Trilogy because I absolutely love that series. And it should be noted that uh, I met Barry at the same place that we we all worked at one time for quite a bit of time, which is Sunrise Rollerland. And then when Andrew took off for college, Barry and I became um, extremely good friends, and both Andrew and Barry ended up being the best men in my wedding that's right and and of course i owe sunrise rollerland my wife as well because i met my wife at sunrise rollerland she turned out to be the best wife i ever had (laughs) we're still married to this day well and yeah i think rollerland uh, wally world as we called it um that was i think pivotal for us barry i have a different memory I think we may have gone to Keggy later, but I think, and I absolutely could be wrong, but I think I met you in line for the Keith Green Memorial Concert. Oh, my goodness. In the fall of 82. Okay. And because we went to different high schools. We did, yeah. And then I would come to Sunrise Rollerland because they had a Christian skate night on Monday nights. That's right. And you would show up for that. I I am more than happy to sit corrected, um, (laughs) as one can imagine that. Uh, the order of things gets lost in the decades. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what I love about Lewis, um, especially this chapter, and he says it elsewhere in some of his writings, uh, he says that the kind of the hallmark of a new friendship is the phrase, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. And so, yeah, Eddie and I, we met in Miss Altieri's second period Spanish class, and we were both not believers at that time. And as I was prepping for this episode, I realized that we both really kind of, or all three of us, have kind of had troubled relationships with our fathers. Um, my dad was gone, uh, you know, and uh, not not necessarily huge, huge tragedies, but still some struggles that, that I think fed into our early friendship. But primarily, it was about music. And so I don't even know how many concerts Eddie and I went to together. And Barry and I, uh, all three of us sometimes, and then Barry and I lived at, uh, at Belmont College where he studied, we both studied music business. Um, and so we were actually part of making music together. And that was the thing that was, I, I don't know, I think it's pretty fair to say that it pretty much consumed our whole, whole lives. I mean, we spent a lot of hours going to shows. Agreed. And music is still a very, very important part of my life. And I think for many, many, many people, music... Uh, strikes a, a chord that, um, and I, there's really no pun intended in that. It it calls up time periods in our life, and I can listen to music, and your faces come to mind because they're so closely associated with what we grew together appreciating. You know, 
maybe we don't always have the same tastes exactly, but I think we all, we have a, a depth of appreciation that we've shared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Lewis says that, um, you know, you have your, your first friend and then your second friend who uh, likes all the same music, but, or the, all the same things, but likes them in the wrong way. And so I think that we each have bands that, you know, there are bands that I like that the two of you can't possibly like because you guys are idiots, but we both agree about the value of music. And, you know, a lot of my musical tastes, Eddie really brought me to. I remember borrowing October on LP by U2 and going, man, these guys are gloomy guesses and they don't, they don't evince the joy of the Lord. And then I remember wearing a collared shirt and standing in the back of the room at Striper, crossing my arms and going, these guys are idiots. And, you know, I, I ended up loving both of those bands. And so Eddie was, uh, was instrumental in that. But um, I, think I, I think I brought some stuff to you too, Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. But uh, not the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never read lyrics. You never read liner notes yeah, until I uh, came along. Yeah, and then you claimed ownership to all of them, Striper and U2 and King's X and and all. <laughs> well, I've got profoundly good musical tastes. <laughs> I, I think what I've learned from both of you, and I, and I don't know that I've really implemented it because I still struggle with it, but I, I've always been kind of the unfan. If it's been popular, I've always held my nose because of its popularity. Kind of, not, I won't say counterculture, but just kind of... Um, not into it because people are into it. And you guys have tried to lighten me up and say, Hey, just appreciate this for what it is, man. It's just not the end of the world. If you don't like what he's wearing or the, what his hair looks like, you know, you're always old beyond your years. I always, when I met you, I thought you were like 30 or 40 years old because of the way you carried <laughs> yourself. And you had that mustache there. You were, you were so adult. And you're running around wearing a jacket and a collar all the time. So I always thought you're so much older than me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and yet, and frowned upon those childish uh, fads and phases. Yeah. Well, he, he was a year older than us. I mean, and that was. That was a big, a big difference back in the day. He was he graduated a year before we did. Model of maturity, I must have seemed like. Yeah, you know, as I was listening to the chapter and um, listeners, we looked at the C.S. Lewis doodle, and one of the things that jumped out to me as I looked at that was um, this idea of companions versus friends, and by companionship, I think he means affection or storgy. You know, it's like we happen to be in the same demographic. We happen to work at the same place or go to the same high school or whatever, um, and we were at the same place at the same time, and we had lots of companions. You know, we could name names, uh, or we've probably forgotten most of them, of folks that we worked with or went to school with. Um, but out of that companionship that we accidentally happened to be you know, next to each other in Spanish class. I had to introduce Eddie that week and pronounce his name. We realized we were going through a lot of the same things, not only dad stuff, but, you know, Eddie and I both became Christians the first year of high school. We both started attending the same church. We both wanted to be in leadership. We both, you know, really wanted to dig deeply into our faith. And so out of companionship, a couple of people who realize they have the same interests kind of separate themselves. And uh, Lewis says, companionship is the soil out of which friendship grows. Have you found that true, both in our friendship and in other friendships for you all? Well, absolutely. And what really stood out in the chapter to me was as long as you have this agreement to be companions, you don't really need to know anything about the other person. Mm -hmm. And it almost is just incidental Mm -hmm. that uh, once you once you find out, are you married? You're not married. Do you have kids? Do you have this? It doesn't matter. You've just agreed to be companions and to to establish that friendship. Mm-hmm. And even if uh, some of those interests or commonalities aren't there, it's still, it's just a, a by the way. Um, because what matters most is that yeah. you've agreed to be companions. Hmm. Lewis says that friends stand shoulder to shoulder looking at the same things the same way. Right. And so, and they don't really talk about their friendship the way lovers talk about their romance. 
Although I think that intimacy with all three of us and with, with really true friends, I think that intimacy develops over the years because if this person loves this thing I love so much, they must be safe. And maybe I can risk sharing some intimacy. Uh, it's kind of what happens with Lewis and Tolkien, where they realize they love Norse myth. And after a couple of years of reading Norse myth together, Tolkien takes a risk and shows Lewis his poetry which turns into the Lord of the Rings and that kind of move of intimacy. And Lewis responds the next day praising this poem. And then a couple weeks later, he responds with 14 pages of criticism. And Tolkien loved both. And instantly, Tolkien went from what Lewis called the second rank of my friends to being part of the first rank. And so I think that that intimacy kind of grows after a while. So that shoulder to shoulder thing, uh, I think is, is really important because we're just kind of focused on the same thing and then it becomes safe. And I think that's how friendship relationship, at least with me and with us has developed. I like, uh, I like your use of the word safe. My wife and I will talk about getting together with, uh, Eddie and Dina, and one of the, the joys of that for us is that it's it's not an energy-draining experience. It's a mutual, um, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I guess I could say appreciation for, for each other, for the, for the group. There, there are those that, that you can get together with where you walk out of the room or you walk out of the house and you just feel like you've lost a bar fight. it's not necessarily that harsh words are exchanged but there's just this lack of commonality maybe preparing to talk to you guys today i was thinking about sadly about fizzled friendships and i had a friendship from the same time period that that uh the three of us met that has fizzled to the point that i i don't know how to even reach this person there was a key moment where I realized there was no commonality. We were watching a movie that was very deep, very uh, demanding emotionally and profound. And it ended and the titles rolled and the, and the TV turned off. And uh, this individual said, I don't get it. And I'm standing there with tears coming out of my eyes. <laughs> wow. What do I do with you? <laughs> So commonality is, and the sense of safety around what you hold as valuable, important, uh, the kind of the pathos aspect of things, you know, is yeah, is kind of key, I guess. Hmm. I think the word familiarity too, if you really push that to its roots, and some of this comes from the kind of troubled family that I that I grew up in. But for years, you guys were my only family. In in whatever sense that word has any meaning, I'll always consider you family. And certainly, Eddie, you know, in years when I was single, living in Sacramento, spent a lot of Thanksgivings together, you know, picked me up for a weekend, you know, and hang out with the kids or, you know, Felipe's Mexican food and Star Trek or whatever it was. And whenever I talk about Uh, that I always refer to this one incident um, where I was away at college, I came home, and a couple of years out of high school, and Eddie, you and I were driving around over by Birdcage, and we had this exact conversation. I said, hey, do you think we should? And you said, no, not right now. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. There was no noun in that thing, but we knew exactly what each other was thinking. And I think that that's what Lewis calls storgi, you know, kind of invading or coming into friendship because it's that affection of kind of belonging together for a long time. And I think sometimes that's where the intimacy comes because we have this familiarity that feels, that feels safe. It doesn't only breed contempt, I think. Uh, no, and I definitely uh, a feeling of safety. And I mean, years can pass and it just doesn't feel like any time has passed and we just pick up exactly where you leave off Mm -hmm. as it was yesterday or just like asking what did you do yesterday yeah man there's a lot of deep memories going back i we both came from uh broken homes and uh, i was uh i always have i still have a lot of trauma related to my home life and my family life and i recall you being the only person I ever met who I felt actually had it worse than I did. 
I did. I did have it worse. <laughs> well, that's that's quite a match there, fellas. But <laughs> <laughs> my heart always went my heart always went out to you for that. But then I think that another thing besides all of that, uh, what we had together was this this incredible experience of the grace of God and the love of God and the development of ourselves as young men by the Holy Spirit um, in sometimes kind of traumatic relationships. I remember that one of the things I think that kind of brought us a little closer, Barry, is when your father passed away. And that was a tough time for you and your faith, you know, and we just, we, we stood together. We stood, stood with each other. Yeah, uh, Lewis says friendship makes, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, uh, friendship makes one braver, kinder, piouser, crueler, and prouder. Hmm. Um, and I think, um, I think having both of you as friends during that time, trying to think of the word, it was, it was like crutches, Mm. you know, if you're broken in a car accident, you guys were crutches for me to get around that allowed me to navigate life for many, many months. Uh, it's hard to say how long, but, uh, without that friendship, you know, it's like, I don't even know if I could have gotten up. Well, and not long after that, I went to Spain and spent some time with my father. And I was so worried about the two of you because there were lots of times it was three of us, but there was a lot of time where it was just the two, either of the two of us. And so I remember when I left saying, okay, you guys need to take care of each other. And I still have somewhere in a box that cassette that you all made while watching Late Night with David Letterman that you sent to me in Spain. And that was a lifesaver. And then when I came back, that was the period where you met Dina, Eddie, and and the two of you got close. And that was that was gratifying for me. It's the it's what Lewis says, and I'd love to hear your opinions about this. He says, friends are people who care about the same questions, even if and sometimes because they don't agree on the on the answers. Elsewhere he says, when one has read a book. I find there's nothing so nice as discussing it with someone else, even though it tends to produce rather fierce arguments. And uh, I think whether it's music or books or whatever, some of the arguments, in fact, have made our friendships. What do you think? Well, you know, speaking of books, we've never seen uh, eye to eye on until we have faces. And uh, yet you're, you'll get there. <laughs> Listen to our podcast. It'll help. And <laughs> well, the only good thing about that is for you, I'll revisit it to go, well, maybe I've missed something. And then I revisit it and I go, I still don't like that book. <laughs> <laughs> and what am I not getting? And we've had many discussions about interpretations of literature or things that, uh, you know, maybe be, be more simple-minded, just don't see or don't get. <laughs> but then Lewis, I think, has also opened the door for all of us to Tolkien. And that's been another point that we never would have thought about in 1982 or 83. But, you know, talk a little bit about that. Fair enough. I, I grew up watching my much older, 15-year-older sister uh, read Tolkien and was exposed to it pretty early but only pretended to understand it so i i I would say our love for tolkien is uh i would guess between the three of us is you know on on par with love for lewis's works as well maybe even slightly more playfully i mean my the background on my the wallpaper on my phone and my ipad and devices is Tolkien-based art that my daughter has done for me, and my keychain is Hobbits, and you know, you walk into Eddie's house, and obviously there's uh, plenty to see there. So there's a <laughs> there's a fun, playful nature that his work brings, I think, to our friendship. That uh, Jack may be a little bit more on the slightly more serious side much of the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 and uh, I suppose I would say. The foundation for me getting addicted to The Lord of the Rings was the fact that you purchased that for your godchildren, my my boys, and it was sitting on the shelf. And I remember that all, you know, a lot of you more academic guys in high school, I was more of a jock, would read it, and I thought you were a bunch of uh, nerds. <laughs> we were. That and deciphering runes and whatnot. And I had a, a substitute job one time where I had absolutely nothing to do and I had to be there for a prep. 
and they had The Hobbit on the shelf. And so I picked up the book and started reading, and I got hooked. And then I remember Andrew bought the series for my kids. So I went home, and I picked it up. And I, yeah, I'm in my late 30s. And I read that straight through 10 times in a row. I, I forgot that, uh, that I had gotten those for the kids. You know, didn't, we went to bookstores together, didn't we? That, that, became, that became huge. And, you know, I joke about the education piece, but after being in the music business for years, I came back to Sacramento area, which is when I, you know, Eddie and Barry and I spent more time together. But by then I was really committed to reading and to English and to, you know, to getting my degree. Um, and even then there was a little, what are you doing? You, you're just goofy. You guys, are, you're, a, you're a bookworm, egghead. And then, you know, you were at a career change and started going back to school. And all of a sudden it kind of, you kind of got it. And I think that that really enriched our friendship because it's like that used to be an area where we didn't share. And that was fine. You know, we didn't necessarily share it. We had so much that we shared. But, you know, Tolkien better than I do. We haven't really even talked about our faith much, even though that was such the center of our lives. Uh, I think I've shared my faith more deeply with you two than outside of my wife than anybody else. I, I, it's, it's certainly the, the primary commonality. Um, I don't necessarily think it would be possible to have a, a depth of friendship as a Christ follower with somebody who's not a Christ follower. It's just a whole nother paradigm. I hate to throw out cliche words. When you come before Christ, you're standing on higher ground. You're lifted up by his Holy Spirit, and it's hard to relate on a depth, a deep level with somebody who hasn't been lifted up miraculously to understand on some small level who God is and what he's done. So I value uh, the friendship with both of you that is that touches that same point of faith. Uh, I mean, we have different iterations of it in some small ways, um, or different expressions, I guess, maybe, in some small ways. But the person of Jesus Christ is central to all three of us, and I don't, I can't imagine having that depth, as I said before, without that common, common point. It's, I think, what we said about safety, you know, to some degree. And certainly in my own vocational journey, um, as I've been traveling towards priesthood, both of your affirmation when I was at the beginning of that vocational process was crucial, because if anybody would know that that's a crappy idea for me, it would have been the two of you. <laughs> and you were both in your individual ways, you know, really affirming, and that you know, God spoke, spoke to you through that. So, yeah. Lewis talks about how friendship seems, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase, I'm going to put it in my own terms, but there's kind of a timelessness to friendship. If you don't maintain a romantic relationship, um, even day to day or week to week, it really kind of tends to it tends to fall away. And if you don't maintain family relationships or affection relationships, certainly I'm not in touch with almost anybody from high school. And if you don't maintain those relationships of, of Storgi, they, they fall away. But as kind of a closing question, I wonder what you all think about the kind of instance of the, the, the freshness of speaking again after all these years as if we don't need to main as if something else i don't know i don't know why there's this kind of eternal quality to friendship even after years not not chatting together and i don't remember the last time the three of us just sat down you know on zoom or in person so why, why do you think that is what do you make of all of that for me it's a little bit like a, a friendship is a little bit like walking into your closet on the first fall day and pulling your favorite flannel shirt down um, that's been sitting there through the warmer months and saying, I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable with this. You know, um, it's uh, familiarity. Listeners in Texas and Florida won't know that experience, <laughs> but, um, but trust us on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, those of you who don't know what Chile is, I'm so sorry for that. Um, it, and I hate to reuse the word familiarity, warmth, um, it it there. How do you how do you find the right words to describe that? I guess that's the whole point of the conversation. Uh, it's it's 
something that you go to and you know it's going to be there. And um, I shouldn't use it, perhaps, as the word. It, it depersonalizes it. Uh, but it's, um, it's reliable. It's going to be there. There's trust and loyalty and faith and timelessness in it. I see it as providential, as <laughs> almost meant to be, that we find each other and stay close to each other and agree to support each other in this life. Mm. I, I think that that's exactly, exactly right. In Screwtape Letters, he says that now is the place where time meets eternity. And for me, it's an invasion of the eternal. And I think that there will be a freshness and familiarity in heaven um, and the timelessness of heaven, that heaven isn't, isn't bound by time, um, that we are eternal creatures, right? Uh, like Lewis says in Weight of Glory, there are no mere mortals. You've never met an ordinary, ordinary person. Every person you meet will outlast every building you'll ever see, every civilization. And for me, it's this kind of gift of God uh, to affirm friendship as a truly important love, that it has an eternal nature that none of the other loves in some ways have. And I'm just grateful to share it with you. we got to get together uh, more often than, than we have, and maybe we'll, we'll set that up offline. But I'm grateful for y'all spending some time today and, and reminiscing about our, uh, our time together. I wish you all would hurry up and get gray hair, because uh, <laughs> I'm tired of being the old guy. Any final thoughts? I, my daughter told me a quick story today. Can I relate relay it to you? A story more on unfriendship. Her, The family she works for owns a billiards hall uh, near where Eddie and I live. And a young man was with three of his friends and stole the general manager's billiards cue about two weeks ago. And one of the crowd of four came back in. They caught this on camera came back in, they saw him on camera, called the sheriff officer over from across the parking lot where the substation is. He came in, and when questioned, he said, the young man said, I had nothing to do with this, and then he heard it was on camera, and he said, camera, his name was Devin, and his phone number was 916-dot-dot-dot-dot-dot-dot-dot-dot. So <laughs> it's like unloyalty, unfriendship. You give them up the second the second you've been caught. And I just thought that was a, a, a funny example of what friendship isn't. Um, although maybe he didn't needs to read the 10 commandments and not steal things. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts from you, Eddie? No, I just appreciate both of your friendship and the closeness that we shared. And just the fact that, uh, we do share that familiarity and we can go to each other anytime at any point in our lives and it just picks up like uh, like it never left off, like, like it's always been there. Mm. And that's definitely yeah. what, when it comes to our commonality, that's we've had each other all along the years. Mm. What a gift. I think that that's a real sign of God's gracious care for us. Um, in the next chapter, we'll talk about agape, or agape, and how unconditional love, decision love, comes in to strengthen all of the friendships. And I'm grateful for the way that I have been able to show that to, to you uh, both over the years, but also the way that you know far more um, proportionally you all have shown unconditional love. I hadn't been a great friend or a great Christian sometimes, and you all have loved me uh, even though there was no payoff in it for you. And, uh, and that also is a sign of the divine invading all of our lives. And so, listeners, we hope that you, uh, this will spur you to maybe call your old friends uh, to love each other well and, and, uh, and to, to keep pressing on in the goodness and the gifts that God has given you, especially in all of these loves, especially your friendships. So with that, I'll tell you both that I love you. And I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Next up, we have Matt. Friends, it is good to be back and on our friendship episode. And I know David will have already done an introduction for this, so I don't know if I will be having this conversation uh, with my best friend over after Andrew or beforehand, but... Uh, this is another one where we get to bring on someone very close to us and have a conversation. And so 
this time I am bringing on my best friend from high school and just an incredible human being. And he uh, also is named Matt, named Matt Mulder. And in high school, we were called the two Matts. And we'll get into this later, but I genuinely owe everything to this person. I actually gave his best man speech and joked about how when I went into high school and I met him, and we'll talk about this story of how we met, but I was a hundred pounds, genuinely, and five foot two, I think. And I, I was at a new high school and didn't really know many people and didn't really have a lot of friends freshman year. And this gentleman was actually like varsity basketball, varsity football, jock, uh, he was the opposite, probably went through puberty in seventh grade and had more facial hair in seventh grade than I have now still. Um, so anyways, I'm really excited for this. We're going to we're gonna just have a free-flowing conversation. We're going to talk about friendship. I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, but welcome Matthew Dale Mulder, my personal therapist. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. It's awesome to be yeah. here. I love it. Yeah. And, and Matt is, the reason I joke with that is because he is a therapist now. And I, I don't actually, I'm not actually kidding when I say you know, high school and college are, and all, all of life, you take wounds, you, there's arrows that come at you. And to have someone in your corner as incredible as this person, who's not only a therapist, but uh, him and I really have been on the spiritual journey from the beginning in high school. Uh, and actually, I'm actually getting a little ahead of myself because I don't want to share from my perspective what kind of bonded us so early on. But uh, Matthew, thank you for joining us. And I want to kick us off with C.S. Lewis writes in Friendship. He talks about how there's a, this wait, what, you two moment. And I know you and I both very much know the the very first time we really hung out and when it launched our friendship. So we'll talk about that in a second, but I'm curious a little bit more high level and it might be around that, but what do you think it was for us that you two, that I thought I was the only one that bonded us at such a interesting time period, such a formidable time period. This would have been end of freshman year, I think June particularly, but then over those next couple months as you got to know me and you're like, Oh, you know what? I think I want to make this person my best friend. Yeah, I love I love it because it's not one of those things that you can really choose in some ways, right? Like I think, um, and Lewis writes about this too. It's, um, the, the timing's out of our control, and so while you joke about me being a, a jock coming into high school, and I suppose from a lot of people's perspective, I was. I guess on paper, I technically was. I was a football player, a, a basketball player. Um, you know, I knew as a freshman that I might be getting pulled up to play. So I, you know, I was just bigger than everybody. It wasn't that I was so good. I was just six foot two in eighth grade. So like <laughs> it, it worked out and it was actually sixth grade that I started puberty, not seventh grade. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, I think for me, while on the outside, it looked like I, you know, had it going for me in the inside, I was longing for a close friend. And, and so when we cross paths and, and I'll let you tell the story from your perspective, but when our dad kind of, you know, connected us, I was, I was looking for a friend. Um, sure. I could, I could catch a football. I could make three point shots, but deep down inside, I was looking for someone to be my friend who I could do life with. And I think too, what, what I would say connected us from my perspective was just this, this, um, depth this desire for genuine emotional connection, but also spiritual connection. Um, you know, as, as freshmen in high school, I don't know how many freshman guys are looking for that, but I think that we, we both were. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that's one of the reasons we connected so deeply so quickly is I was longing for friendship, you were longing for friendship, and there was a depth that really brought us together in a meaningful way. Yes. I agree. I'd second all of that. And in addition to that, I think we were very early on in trying to seek truth. Like we both grew up in uh, a very Christian community and very Bible focused community, but we, neither of you and I just take what we're told as truth. Like we have to explore it. And so you and I would honestly have lots of conversations. We were trying to to figure out what truth was for us, both reading scriptural books, uh, reading non-scriptural books um, or non-theological books. And we would always read 
these different things like the shack or Henry Nowen and have these conversations, you know, what does this mean? And I think you and I just really desired to, to, to connect with our Lord deeply, to connect with each other deeply and to just to live intentionally and find meaning. Totally. And, and I'll just add, I, I think what was so fun and we've joked about this, our whole friendship, uh, you, you tend to lean a little bit more towards the, the rational logical, right. And I tend <laughs> yeah. to lean towards the emotional heart level and so sometimes it's, it's the, the differences in, in individuals that make them such good friends. And so we had this common core, right? This desire for truth. And we would wrestle like crazy because I, I would come at it often from probably too much of a heart level, right? Like I'm a therapist. I, I'm afraid to say I'm probably a bit of a bleeding heart. And you would come at it from a rational, logical level and just so everyone out there knows, Matt's a little bit smarter than me. Not much, but <laughs> a little bit. Let, so, let's caveat one thing, though. Um, <laughs> intellectual. You have a wisdom of people and an emotional intelligence that's far beyond anything. My mom and I joke because I, I, like a year and a half ago, tried to find like a good therapist or counselor just to kind of work through some stuff. And and, and then she's like, I'm like, I can't find anyone because I'm so used to Matt Mulder. There's not many people I take advice from. I just don't think they are necessarily super intelligent or wise. And, and so, yes, maybe intellectually books and facts and stuff, but there's, you have an intelligence that is deep of human nature. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I just love that. I think a part of life right there, there are multiple stories in scripture about the importance of wrestling, right? There was someone who wrestled with God and, and was blessed with a new name. And I think that, as we were able to wrestle in those early years of friendship as a teenager, when you're trying to figure stuff out, um, when you're trying to find truth, uh, it was just really fun. And we connected in such a beautiful way that way. And that's, that's then where you just have to give thanks like that. that There's no way that could have happened if it weren't for the way that my dad set us up. And, and I don't, I can let you tell that story if you want, but yeah, I'll keep it quick. But the one final thing I was gonna say is like, remember, I remember even when we were in India, we were wrestling with, I actually think I was reading, I was reading The Weight of Glory there. Uh, C.S. Lewis is The Weight of Glory. I think we were talking about the inner ring there. Um, we were reading scripture. So Matt and I went to India for a month at Mother Teresa's place, or just shy of a month, and shared that experience together, which there's whole other stories there of getting lost in India. Matt getting scammed by an India cab driver eight hours in the wee hours <laughs> in the morning, filling up his car with gas, uh, which is like essentially later. paying... Yeah, hundred dollars later, which is essentially like paying for fifty car, cab rides. You know, in the United States, like, oh, fifty dollar cab, that's nothing. There it is. Um, we won't go there. But yeah, when we when we met, it was, it was your your father had essentially said, "Man, I think you would, I think you would like this this other Matt Bush person." And I genuinely he was a school teacher. He was my teacher. He was actually my dad's teacher too, uh, just briefly. So. Um, yeah, you're. you're I, I, I still to this day don't know what your dad saw. I mean, I, I still think it was pity because I'm not kidding, guys. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, I was a loser in high school. Freshman year, I was a loser in high school. <laughs> I mean, I remember one of the one of the one of the uh, the janitor Bob. Remember janitor Bob? I was in a, a circle of the peers and some cute girls and stuff. And he comes up and he goes, "Little Matty Bush, we got to put some Miracle Grow on you." And I'm like, "Oh, this is not helping my case right now, Bob. Brutal. I know you mean you mean well." <laughs> yeah, well, and you yeah. were the you were the one like the one Catholic kid coming from the Catholic school into the Protestant school, which it, it's probably not that big of a deal, but it's a new, it's a new environment and you're the only one. And you know, the rest of us have been in school together our whole lives. So I, yeah, it was a tough, tough go. <laughs> yes. And it was over ice cream, by the way, guys, I get a call in my, on a cell phone, you know, flip phone days and it's literally Matt Mulder. And I pick up and I'm like, hello, because my voice had not <laughs> dropped yet. And he asked if I wanted to get coffee and he had, or uh, ice cream. And he had just gotten his driver's license. Matt's also very much on the older side in the grades. I think probably should have been a grade older. And so he had his driver's license before anyone else. Uh, I think there's one person that had it sooner than you. So he comes and picks me up and we grab ice cream. And that was the beginning of the friendship. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm a little, I want to read some stuff to you. And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. You know, Lewis talks so much about friendship. We've already talked about, wait, the YouTube moments uh, between us. But what, from your perspective, he has this quote 
that says friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. It has no survival value. Rather, of one of those things which give value to survival. And he's really talking about in this book, The Four Loves, you know, affection has survival value. If you think from an evolutionary perspective, family units were very important. Eros, you know, to some degree, has survival value. You needed marriage. You needed to come together. Um, but friendship, he argues, like we didn't necessarily need it. It's not the same thing as companionship. It's not the same thing as hunter-gatherers going out into the world and doing that. It's like people coming together. And so uh, I'm curious from your thought, if you if you agree with that or if you have any thoughts around that of like what friendship has meant in your life and not just necessarily mine with you, but just in general relative to like family, relative relationship with God and in that role. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that quote. I think I'd imagine, right, what you, you described it well, what C.S. Lewis is talking about. It's it's not actually about, okay, practical, actual survival. Um, I, I think that what he's suggesting is it's it's a gift it, it adds it adds value it adds goodness it adds grace to life it's not it's not about uh, you know making it to the next day that's different but um one of the things and I'll, I'll i'll just be honest with the listeners right like it took me i had to start three masters to finally get my masters in counseling so i am a seminary dropout I will, I will start by saying I'm a seminary dropout, so Matt can correct my theology if I'm wrong. Um, but I find it interesting um, that when Jesus left this earth, he sent his spirit to dwell in us. And so what you see, right, are, are tongues of fire above all the believers. And this is where maybe my theology gets a little murky, but what I, what I think is that what Jesus was suggesting is, first and foremost, we're going to experience him through one another. Because his spirit's in us, we, 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 are, we, we bear the image of God, right? And so, while friendship might have nothing to do with actual survival, I think it has a lot to do with how we experience Jesus. And that is gift. That is, I love the word delight. Like, mm. I also love the word savor. We savor friendship. We savor time with good friends. For any of you out there who are now in your 20s, 30s, 40s, right, you don't get to hang out with your, your good friends every single day anymore. But but you might get to go on a trip and, and be together for a long weekend out in the woods, sitting around a campfire, sipping on something you love. And we savor that. We delight in that. We experience the goodness of Christ in a, in a way that we don't experience it anywhere else. Um, it may be even a way that you don't quite experience it in, in marriage because you don't have this, you don't have the same time. You don't have the same story together, right? Like I, I love my wife, Jill dearly. We just got married in August. Um, I, I recommend marriage. It's wonderful. <laughs> and, and I'm still looking Matt. for it, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I, it'll, it'll come. It'll come. And I've known Matt since I was a freshman in high school. And so we've had more story together. I've gotten to experience Jesus through him in, in ways that I haven't with anyone else. And so, you know, I, I just think that's where friendship is incredible. We, we get to experience Jesus through one another in a way that's delightful and good, in a way that we can savor, right? When it's written in scriptures, uh, taste and see that I am good. Mm. That speaks to friendship. And just, I think too, right? When, when Jesus first broke bread, when he first invited us to consider the, the, the body and the blood, he was with his friends. And so, you know, we could play with that all day, but that's one of the things that I just think comes to the surface and what, what Lewis is talking about here is, is it about survival? No, but, but it's about something that's really, really, really important and, and really special and something that makes the faith, you know, so often faith, isn't easy isn't overly enjoyable but in friendship you know we encounter god through one another in ways that are delightful tasty savory good well and and that's probably why i think you're spot on with that because lewis argues in the chapter it's 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 a very spiritual love it's like an angelic 
love. That's why I like that you brought it to Christ. You don't see a bunch of like necessarily animals in like the true friendship way that we see human beings because there is something divine about the friendship. Um, Very Trinitarian. And you see that with Jesus and the apostles and the closeness of that group and the friendships and the bonds. And so I think you're spot on with that. And I also like, because this, this segues into the, the, the next quote of Lewis's that I really liked, uh, where he says, the opinion of this circle, while I am in it, outweighs that of a thousand outsiders. As friendship strengthens, it will do this even when my friends are far away. For we all wish to be judged by our peers, by the men after our own heart. Only they really know our mind, and only they judge it by standards we fully acknowledge. Theirs is the praise we really covet, and the blame we really dread. And so I was thinking about that last part explicitly, or specifically, when you were sharing that, because on this spiritual journey, it's it's the critique that I, I'm willing to accept. Like if you come to me and say, Matt, you know, over the last 12 months, I've just seen this happening in your life and just experiencing this. And, you know, I, I'm a little concerned. Or you just did this this past weekend. And it's, and it's like, I'd take that seriously. If a stranger did it, I'm like, get out of my, get out of here. We're not, we're, we're not talking. Um, or the praise that really, that I value. And I think friendship, the, the, you become the average of the friends, the five friends you're closest around. I mean, friendship is a really powerful tool towards sanctification as well. Totally. And I, and I think, you know, as a therapist, one of the things I always kind of hold close, I keep in mind is that healing or, or growth happens when we are genuinely vulnerable with someone that we trust, with someone that we respect, with someone that we love, and then mm-hmm. they they hold us, right? They, they care for us. They love us. Um, and, and so for that to happen in friendship is just a profoundly beautiful thing. And, you know, I always tell people I, I take my profession seriously. I love what I do. I think that if, if we were better at friendship, Right, like if, if if sin hadn't gotten the better part of friendship in this world, because it is it's hard. You talk to a lot of people, right? Especially a lot of older men, they don't have good friends. I think that's because friendship often takes work too, right? You can't just assume friendship. Um, but I wouldn't have a job as a therapist if, if we you know, if we all had better friendships. Because that's I think ultimately where healing is is happening. Um and, you know, that's something that we've experienced together, too. When you talk about that critique, right, the way that I would talk about that kind of from my perspective is there have been moments where I've just been hurting or there have been moments where I've been lost. There have been moments where I've been in tears and I just come to you and I, I am truly vulnerable, not some kind of, you know, Instagram post vulnerability, kind of fake vulnerability, but just at the at my wits end. Right. And you just give me a big hug and you. And you affirm me you remind me of who i am who god is and then there's also some times where yeah of course i'll listen to your advice because i trust and respect you whereas i might not listen to someone else's advice as quickly because we don't have that trust and and that's just it's just really special it's a beautiful thing uh friends this is what uh i think it was a couple episodes and i david and i were talking about friendship in general as we're going through this chapter. I mentioned how I'm very, probably more than the average person, as much as I'm rational, and and you're correct with that, I'm also quite emotional at the same time. I kind of have them both, and you and I have always connected over that where I've called you crying, I've called you overwhelmed, I've called you in a very like tender, vulnerable state, and you're always so good at receiving. And I always, I love how you use the word held. Can you hold a person in that space? It's not just fixing. It's just the fixing is honestly just being present. It's just knowing that despite these emotions, despite this feeling, despite this hurt, despite this pain, that someone's there for you, that someone's willing to sit in it with you. And you've, you've actually helped me become better at that. Witnessing you do it has been helpful for my own journey. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that. I think I just read this, I don't know if you've heard of the book uh, Sabbath. No. I think it's like finding rest and renewal in the midst of our busy lives by Wayne Muller. I think that's how you say his name. Um, and he, 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 he writes a lot about how we often struggle to hear God's voice because we're way too busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. We often struggle to hear God's voice in the midst of, you know, 
our problems, our chaos, because we're too quick to try to fix. We, we need to slow down in order to actually hear God's voice. And so I think, you know, in good friendship, when we hold one another, when, when we wait to try to offer advice or try to fix, that's when we can actually begin to hear God's voice or his direction for us in our lives. And that often just comes through a warm embrace. But, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's amazing how, you know, that works. <laughs> but it really does. And, and we've experienced that through one another, which is so cool. Um, that, that in some of the biggest, most pivotal moments of our lives, it's literally been a big hug or, or just mm-hmm. presence and encouragement. Maybe a gin and tonic and Taylor Swift. It could that happen too. Once upon a time. <laughs> Listeners I love know gin and tonic and Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, Matt's the person that I went to a, a. I joked about this in his best man speech of all the things we've done, including a Taylor Swift concert. And then I said, "And no, we were not eighteen; we were twenty-seven. <laughs> well, you literally best, flew out. <laughs> what? The, the best part of that story is you and I had, had two or three gin and tonics, and as we're walking into the concert. Before I was a therapist through the previous life, I was a youth pastor back in Holland, Michigan. So we're out in California, and we're walking into this concert, and we hear a girl yell from a car, like, hey, Matt, is that you? So then we both turn around, because we're both named Matt, right? And it's one of the girls that I had led in youth group. And she, <laughs> she's like, she's like I've lost all respect for this guy. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it was hilarious. I'm like, what are the chances? So it's a vulnerable moment, and we held each other in that. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm, I'm actually a curious question. I was not expecting to ask this, but when you brought up the therapy and I freak, I almost forgot, obviously you work with tons of individuals struggling in life. What would be your suggestion? There's probably listeners because we have enough of a listener base that, that either don't have really good friendships that are maybe are struggling. What would be your advice to someone that's not feeling a lot of happiness or joy or community in life? And let's pretend they were coming to you and you just sense that they need to, to really work on that community, and that friendship to, to get started with that, you know, what do they need to do from like a vulnerability perspective or to seek this out? What would be some advice you'd give? Yeah, that's a good question. A big I know question. it's case by case. There's probably no like very general thing. All you got to do is this. <laughs> no, for sure. But I, I, where it's important to start, and this is where I start with each client that ever sits with me, you know, I think that especially in the therapeutic setting, people can assume trust. I think therapists can assume trust. Like, I've noticed this in my own therapeutic work with counselors. I've seen a counselor or two who just start to really try to dig deep right away and and move too quickly when we haven't even built trust yet, right? Like just because I'm sitting with you, just because I pursued you to be my therapist, that doesn't mean that you should trust me. So I always, I always remind people, right? Like we, we can get hurt when we offer too much of ourselves or if we're too vulnerable right away with people that we, we don't trust. Um, and, and I see this a lot with like the, so, the social media thing, right? And Brené Brown, love her work, God bless her. But, but there's been this like influx of what I call fake vulnerability or just unhelpful vulnerability in social media. Mm-hmm. And I, I work with teenagers, I see this all the time. Someone will post something vulnerable and then someone will comment in a way that's disrespectful and it ends up hurting them. Right. And this can also happen in real relationships. So usually what you see with people who have struggled with friendship or feel like they don't have friends, there's usually some pretty deep hurt or wound there, whether that's from parents, siblings, other friends, social experiences, right, where they struggle to trust. Mm -hmm. And so what I always suggest is make sure you are looking for friendship relationship somewhere where it ought to be safe. My wife and I are talking a little bit about potentially moving somewhere for a little while. And it's funny because the first place that we would think about going in a new city is a church. <laughs> By God's grace, church has been a relatively safe place for us in our lives. Um, for, for most people out there, you, know, you can find a church that's a safe place. Not all are, but I think that, that safety and that, that trust is so important for somebody who's been hurt. And... You know, it's one of those things where I don't say, just just tough it out, you know, try harder. No, be wise, be smart. And then once you find a safe place, um, 
begin to risk opening up, right? It is that what C.S. Lewis says, you know, friendship is, is born when, you know, you meet someone and you're like, oh my gosh, you, you too, you, you mm-hmm. have that experience. Um, and at the end of the day, we're just not that different, yeah. right? Like I had a mentor once tell me, he pointed out a, a guy, we were sitting having lunch and he pointed out a guy across the street and he said, Matt, what do you think about that guy? And I looked over and he had a mohawk about a foot and a half tall, big gauges in his ears, tattoos up and down his arms, black baggy clothes. And I said to my mentor, I said, Ren, I think he looks really weird. <laughs> and, and Ren just started laughing. He's like, thanks for your honesty. But, I, <laughs> but then it got quiet and Ren said, but Matt, he laughs just like you and I laugh. He cries just like you and I cry. And he wants to belong and be loved just like you and I want to belong and be loved. And so, you know, mm-hmm. for you, a listener out there, if you're, if you're struggling and if you think you're the only one, this is just a, a gentle reminder that anyone you come into contact with laughs, they cry, they want to belong, they want to be loved just like you and me. Um, and, and that's that kind of vulnerable space with someone safe is where good friendships born. I like that. It's and actually that is similar to what Brene Brown says of 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 almost like calculated vulnerability is not a bad word. That sounds like or is a bad word. It sounds like an oxymoron. Calculated vulnerability, but it, it, you have to develop the trust. It's like if you barely know a person, be vulnerable, but only to a certain degree until you realize they can handle your vulnerability and maybe meet you and match you then you can go a little bit deeper and then wait until you see it and you can go a little bit deeper and wait till you see it you can't just go from zero to 60 because that's how you're going to get hurt and and not everyone is going to hold you in that space not everyone is going to protect you and i've always thought that was really good advice you know you got to be vulnerable but you can't be the person that's pouring your heart out from day one that's just not she actually says that's not healthy um that's rooted in like an insecurity and a need to connect that's not good for sure. And I think too, you know, when in my office, in my, in my practice, whenever I sit with someone, I invite them to, to hold two words really close to their heart. And the, the first word's curiosity, right? We all know the quote, um, be curious, not judgmental. Um, uh-huh. In our own stories, but in, in the stories of others and in, in the lives of others, curiosity will get you a long way. Because believe it or not, people actually tend to like to talk about themselves (laughs) so if you're curious if you're curious towards them it's amazing what what will often come out and then the other word is kindness which is a very therapeutic word i get that but i'm a counselor so (laughs) gotta be kind with yourself you gotta be kind to yourself and to others and you know if you hold those two words close you'll be be surprised you know at who you end up talking to and, and what friendships might develop or blossom well, I want to finish with a quote, whether we talk about it or whether we just leave with it, because I just think it's so beautiful. And I feel this between you and I, and I feel really blessed. Lewis writes, but in friendship, being free of all that, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, a choice of one university instead of another, post to different regiments, the action of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of the ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. They are no greater than the beauties of a thousand other men. By friendship, God opens our eyes to them. They are like all beauties derived from him and then in a good friendship increased by him through the friendship itself so that it is his instrument for creating as well as for revealing and i mean there's so many things in there from revealing beauties i like how he says for creating we experience god we experience each other you bring out the beauty in me i bring out the beauty in you you let me see my own beauty and my own worth and and all of that we can't claim we we chose it and honestly when i look at our friendship 
I, I mean, I did. I didn't say to myself, "Oh, I want to be Matt Mulder's best friend." It just kind of it happened. I mean, your dad used <laughs> God used your dad, and and brought us together. And and I just think that chosen that word, the beauty uh, instrument. I think it's just so so incredible. I I love that Matt, and I, it reminds me that one of my favorite passages in Scripture is in Exodus, right? When Moses is wandering through the desert, he bumps into this burning bush which I bet we've all prayed for a burning bush at some point, right? I'm still, I'm still waiting on one, but <laughs> it's, it's powerful because what God says from the bush to Moses is I have heard the cries of my people and I have come down to rescue them, mm-hmm. to set them free. Right. And I think in friendship, again, not to be redundant here, but in friendship, we experience something significant of Jesus coming down to walk with us, to hold us, to set us free. And to your point, like that's truly beautiful. And that's why friendship at its best is as beautiful as it gets this side of heaven, which I love. Boom. Well, Matthew, I am incredibly grateful for you joining and more incredibly grateful for God bringing you into my life. Uh, I love you, brother, and can't say thank you enough for coming on. I love you, too. Thanks for having me. It's been a gift to be here. It's more of a gift to be your friend. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I know that's not true every (laughs) single day, but hopefully overall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, awesome. And that's going to be everything for today. I hear the last call bell, and so I just wanted to thank all of you for listening, our Patreon supporters, particularly our top-tier supporters, Anonymous, Bud, Shane, John, Kevin, Brian, Kay, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Matt, Jeff, Kelly, Chris, John, Kate, Peter, David, and Rowdy. Please join us next time, when we'll be going further up and further in. Cheers!